Good morning. It's good to see you all as we um, enter this holy season of Lent and continue making our way through Adam Hamilton's book, um, Unafraid. Uh, again, we're not uh, preaching on every chapter. There, I forget how many chapters there are. There are a number of them. Uh, but there are major sections of the book that are divided into three or four or five chapters each. So we're focusing in the sermons on those major sections. So today, um, I have the wonderful privilege of speaking with you about crime, racism, terrorism, and politics. <laughs> so, uh, I almost took this today off, but I didn't. Because <laughs> um, then I thought, that's going to be really unfair to Brad or to Diane or to Jim or to Meredith um, or even to Kevin, were I to ask him to <laughs> preach on these topics. But um, so just know there's a lot in the chapters that we can't touch on all of that in one sermon. It's a, a quite a, a breadth of uh, information. So I encourage you to take the book, get a copy of the book, read it. We have some copies, I think, still available here. Diane will say a word about that um, in a moment. I, I shared with you, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of an article that I shared with you um, a number of months ago by Jonathan Haidt um, that I think is, it was, it, it's a wonderful article. It's long. Um, I commend it to you. You can, it's, it's why, um, it's something to do, the title is something around why things recently in the United States have seemed so uniquely stupid. That's the title of the article. It's a wonderful article. Um, but just a bit about it, he uses the Tower of Babel, the story from the Old Testament, to frame his, his larger argument in the, in the article. And um, he, he writes this, It's been clear for quite a while now that red America and blue America are becoming really like two different countries claiming the same territory with two different versions of the Constitution economics, and American history. But Babel, Haidt says, is not a story about tribalism. It is a story, instead, about the fragmentation of everything. It's about the shattering of all that had seemed solid and the scattering of people who had been a community. It's a metaphor for what is happening not only between red and blue, but within the left and the right, as well as within universities, companies, churches, and even families. And I have to admit, it has for some time now felt as if things have come a bit unraveled. As if we perhaps have crossed some line in our life together where it, it feels like it's difficult to get back even to a place where we agreed to disagree. I'm not a social scientist, so I don't know if we are actually more divided than we've ever been, but, but at times it feels that way, like something has shifted in our collective psyche, like there's some kind of illness among us that has taken hold and for which the remedy is unclear. And, and a lot of this fragmentation of our common life, our life together, has its origin in fear. Crime, violence, racism, terrorism, politics, the, has its, they have their origin in 
fear, and especially fear of the other, fear of each other. Hamilton notes this, we tend to be most fearful around our fellow human beings, especially when we consider things like crime and violence and racism and toxic politics and terrorism and and so on, And, and we tend to be most fearful of those who are different from us. People of other religions, races, political positions, classes, cultures, and, and further, politicians and pundits and, sadly, some religious leaders often exploit these fears for their own gain. As I said last week, turn on any of the channels that you want to name, and the subtext of much of what is being shared as news is simply, hear, hear the folks and the ideas that you should be afraid of. Fear is a powerful motivator. It is also a terrible taskmaster. So what then is the remedy for our fear of others? Our fear of of, that they'll do us harm. Our our fear that that racial division might upend our common life. That, That we might be the victim of some act of terror. Fear that fuels our toxic politics. Where is our help? The gospel message of God's redemptive love enfleshed in Christ, the one who has inaugurated God's kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace and light and life, that message, the gospel message, um, is not partisan, but it is political. In that the Old Testament prophets, Jesus, Paul, the other writers of the New Testament, they have a lot to say about how we should order our life together. And in the classic sense of it, that's what politics is about. It's about how we order life together. The gospel says a lot about how we should order life together, about how uh, both in the community of faith and in the public square, how we should do things like treat the poor, Welcome foreigners and strangers. Use our financial resources. Care for those on the margins and vulnerable groups, and on and on. The gospel has a lot to say about that. And in that sense, it's political, not partisan, political. Our faith has a lot to say about how we relate to each other. Sometimes it may sound more conservative, other times more progressive or liberal, Um, But it transcends all of those categories. It has a larger agenda. And that larger agenda is in part wrapped up in what you often hear me say about the church having um, the gift of offering to the world a better way of being human. In other words, a better politics, a better way of doing life together than than the ways we often organize our common life. In Jesus, we're confronted with the politics of love that subvert the politics of fear. And Christ calls us to that better way, to a different politics. The way of sacrificial, neighbor-focused love that we see lived out in Christ 
is how God is healing and saving this weary world of ours. It's how God's trying to release us from fear of one another so that we might love one another. So that things like crime and racism and terrorism and toxic politics no longer have a hold on us, but instead are replaced by God's beloved community. And friends, our world desperately needs to see an alternative, to see a better way. Um, Because each and every one of us every day are bombarded with messages and images of fear trying to tell us how we ought to live together. Many of you probably, um, like me, grew up with uh, the very clear message, uh, don't talk about politics and religion. I can remember my parents, um, you know, shushing me at the dinner table from time to time. We don't talk about that. (laughs) And they had good reason for not wanting to talk about that. Um, And and I I understand that, but I, I also know that that may have not always been helpful. And what we should have been doing all along was finding ways, helpful ways, healthy ways, faithful ways to talk about religion and politics together um, in a way that um, didn't leave us wanting to kill each other <laughs> um, or, or leave the family. Today, however, from, we've moved from don't talk about that to, uh, unfortunately, um, almost the opposite. Today, many are emboldened not only to talk about politics and religion, but, but to shout it as loudly as they can at the other person. As long as you say the right words about the right things as defined by the group that you're a part of. And then, have at it in a way that will defeat those on the other side. More and more, we're, we're encouraged not to see those others as human beings created in the image of God, but we should assume the worst about them. Uh, they're enemies of the public good who must be defeated and of whom we should be afraid. Not only should we, we, we not um, entertain a conversation with them, we, we, we shouldn't interact with them at all. I mean, look at, God help us, look at Congress. They used to like have dinner together and stuff. Know each other's kids' names. Go to birthday parties with people from the opposite side. Not anymore. They're the enemy to be defeated. And assume the worst about them. Now, ideas and opinions that do harm... Um, Yes, we should resist and reject those. But even when we do that, we do it, as Paul reminds us, uh, understanding that our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not the other person that God loves. Um, It's the powers that lie behind, the systems that lie behind um, the the, the harmful, hateful rhetoric that so the, the, the push for us to be afraid of each other. Rather than love one another, we're told to fear one another. Um, Never mind if those fears are unwarranted or based in assumptions and generalizations that are just simply untrue, not grounded in reality or fact. Um, The the longer I'm a pastor, the more I realize how complicated people are. And um, 
will on the one hand say something over here, and then on the other hand say something that sounds completely contradictory over here. And both of those ideas live in their head and hearts and minds at the same time. So I've stopped trying to figure people out in that way. Um, shared last week, um, you know, that a lot of our fears are grounded in assumptions that aren't true and a lack of facts and understanding. I shared last week about the deaths of my cousin and grandfather within a few weeks of each other and me then as an 11-year-old boy trying to work that out and believing that, you know, I, I might be next. But the reality is that was a fear based in an assumption that was not grounded in fact. Because at 11, it was not likely that death was lurking behind every corner to take me out next. And yet the fear was there. I needed some different facts. I needed to know the truth. Um, we're twice as likely, Adam Hamilton points out, to die in a car accident in any... I'm sorry to like, lift you all up this morning with this information, but you know, you're twice as likely to die in a car accident each year than, to be the, than you are to be the victim of a violent crime, and yet most of us don't really think about it when we step into our cars, unless that one person is driving, and we know you shouldn't be in the car with him in the first place, but um, yeah, I won't name who they are, but you can. For every person that dies of a violent crime, and that's horrible, there should be no one who experiences that, but for everyone who does, 40 people die of heart disease. And I bet none of you have cheeseburgers with bacon on the top of your list of fears. <laughs> right? So what are we to do with all this? What is the remedy to this tragic mess we find ourselves in? How do we get out of the fear loop um, and come to see others through the eyes of Christ and not through the lens of our generalizations and our assumptions and our, our politics, or the other unhealthy ways that we often see people, but to see them for, for who they are and as they truly are, so that we can move from fear to freedom to love. Well, it, it takes time, friends. It, it takes a, a, a long obedience in the same direction. It takes a commitment to the truth. Um, facts are our friends, as Hamilton put it. Or as Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth can free us from our faulty assumptions and, and in the process free us from fear. And yes, the truth sometimes is hard to know. I get it. it in, a, in a world where opinions are daily marketed as truth, it's tough. Uh, but we're called to take the time and do the work. Um, because if Jesus' friends don't pursue a better way, who will? So the path is, as Hamilton notes, it's, it's ora let et labora. It is to pray and to work. That's the way we move from fear to freedom to love. Pray and work. The saints in every generation have taught us this. We, we pray first, we listen to God, we listen to one another, and then we go about Christ's ministry of reconciling and making whole. It's the pattern of Jesus' life 
who, who healed and fed and touched and forgave and reconciled and loved, and then he went away to pray. And then he did it again, and again, and again, and again. It's how he could live not motivated by the false assumptions and the misinformation that were prevalent in his day, things like women and lepers are unclean, tax collectors are all miserable sinners, Samaritans should be avoided. It was all in the air, but Jesus was able to live not guided by that misinformation, those generalizations and assumptions about the other. Um, and so was freed from fear and able to love. Even his enemies, even those who would seek to take his life. So Lent is a great time for us to pause and ask ourselves, how's our prayer life? How's our listening to God going? When we go away to our quiet place to pray, um, what's echoing in our, in our heads? What's in rattling around in our hearts and our minds? If it's mostly Fox News and MSNBC and CNN or some other pundit or politician or social media outlet, is it surprising then that we see the world in a certain way and that our hearts and minds are obsessed with certain thoughts and ideas and fears? We need to read widely, to learn, to grow, to be informed. But we have to choose our sources carefully. And even more importantly, from time to time, we just need to slow down and pay attention. Listen to God. More than we listen to all the other stuff. What might the God who came as Jesus in the flesh and who said things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, what might that God be trying to say to us if we listen and pay attention? Pray and work. Listen to God more than we listen to all the other voices. Because when we listen to God, we can hear the truth that sets us free. The Lord is our light and salvation whom shall we fear? The Lord is the stronghold of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? And then once we've spent time with God, listening to God, we do the other work. As I've, I've said, again, behind much racism and crime and terrorism and nationalism and toxic politics and all the other things is fear of the other. Fears, again, often not grounded in truth, but rooted in generalizations, misinformation, and quite frankly, a lack of relationship. We often fear those who, whom we don't know. It, it, it's frankly a problem that, that all my friends and most of the people I interact with look like me. That's not a good thing. Um, I like people like me, <laughs> right? We all do. Feel comfortable around them. Uh, but in order to see the world more fully and engage the world more faithfully, 
I need to listen to other people. I need to get to know them. I need to hear their stories. Um, Step into their perspective. It's the pattern and the rhythm of Jesus' life who sat down at table with all sorts of people. Um, And he talked and he listened um, because he knew it's much, much harder to fear or hate someone, much less want to kill someone with whom you've broken bread. You know, if they've been at your kitchen table, it makes the fear and hate a lot harder. Pray, listen to God, and then do the work of building relationships with others. The slow, patient, and beautiful work of the kingdom, wherein we lean away from fear and more and more into love. It's not glamorous. It's not flashy. They're not going to turn it into a program with slogans and a bumper sticker and a logo, but it is the pattern of Jesus' life, and it just might give this world uh, a chance at peace for freedom, for the freedom of life grounded in the truth that the Lord is our light and our salvation. God is the stronghold of our lives. Of whom should we then be afraid? Amen.